from West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, a land-grant, space-grant, R1 research institution. Learn more at wvu.edu. Good evening from the Capitol Building in Charleston. I'm Suzanne Higgins. On the legislature today, a major broadband bill passes the House of Delegates. Tonight, a special report and follow-up conversation on broadband expansion. But first, some highlights from other news today at the Capitol with senior reporter Dave Mistich. Dave, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks. There was a resolution in the House today, House Resolution 13, calling Great. upon the Attorney General to investigate the business practices of Electo. Right. Tell us about that. Of course, it has to do with the hospital closing. Right. So uh, the way I understand it, they also ran a hospital in Wheeling, the Ohio Valley Medical Center. News yesterday broke uh, up in Fairmont that the Fairmont Regional Medical Center was closing uh, very suddenly. So the House, it seems very quickly, got this resolution together uh, calling on the Attorney General to investigate their practices. Um, of course, this is non-binding, you know, and, and just a, a simple request. It is the will of the House uh, to request the Attorney General. Um, but anyway, House, House Resolution 13 went up for a vote and was passed, or was adopted today. It, it, it did pass overwhelmingly. The vote was 94 to 4 with right. two absent. Only delegates Bibby, Graves, McGeehan, and Wilson voted voted no That's on right. That. And, I, and I did reach out to Delegate McGeehan, um, and he responded very simply. He said, Look, this is just uh, a private business that hasn't been able to sustain our to, to sustain itself here in the state. Why should we be investigating him? A very simple argument there, um, but of course he was one of one of four uh, votes against the resolutions. And we we understand that the the governor got involved with lawmakers for a face to face. Yeah, today. yeah. Uh, I was walking down the hall of the Capitol earlier today, and Delegate Mike Caputo of of uh, Marion County, that area right there where Fairmont is, and um, I understand that uh, Senate Minority Leader Roman Prezioso and Delegate Amy Summers, the the Majority Leader over there in the House, all traveled with the governor up to Fairmont today. So they were, um, they, they I guess they had been delayed with floor sessions going on, but eventually they, you know, broke away and got to head up to Fairmont, so. Uh, these are 600 jobs. It was discussion in committees this morning. I was listening to the Senate Finance Committee and um, Senator Maroney of Marshall County, um, also the chair of the Senate Health and Human Resources Committee said that um, there may be a bill originating from his committee, the Health Committee, that um, seeks to hold companies accountable um, if they if they leave if they close and they don't stick to their closure plan yes, uh, every company has a closure plan what do you do with the patients should your hospital need to close what happens to the incentives that local communities uh, offered that the state offered and so we may be seeing that yet this session right also, uh, this morning, there was a public hearing on House Bill 4176, the West Virginia Intelligence Infusion Center Act. Tell us about that meeting. Right. So, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, a lot of concerns over, over civil rights here. Um, one particular citizen, West Virginian uh, Rob Cornelius, 
most folks that are paying attention to West Virginia politics would know who Rob is. He's um, the now ousted uh, chair of the, the Wood County Republican Executive Committee. Um, you know, he's got an, a lawsuit ongoing about his removal from that. Um, that all, all of that aside, um, it's my understanding that, that uh, Rob's wife, who works here in the building, was approached last year by, by a, um, the governor's uh, general counsel. Um, and Rob uh, is of the, of the understanding that he was being surveilled by, um, by the Fusion Center. Um, you know, uh, the way I understand this Fusion Center, they're supposed to be watching for uh, potential terrorist activities uh, to work with law enforcement. Uh, but they were gathering intelligence on him. We'll listen to a clip right now from Rob Cornelius. Uh, it, during this public hearing on House Bill was it, uh, forty one seventy six, and let me just say real quickly, it seeks to put um, the the uh, the intelligence uh, infusion center was created by an act of the governor right. twelve years and ago. And this was just in, in put that in, in the state code. But anyway, back to this. Uh, this is the clip from Rob Cornelius from the public hearing this morning. According to Kirk's testimony last week, the fusion center cannot gather intelligence on someone or something that is not under investigation. Further, any intelligence cannot leave that facility unless there's an open case. As rewritten, HB 4176 would actually hand out criminal charges, fines, and penalties for someone who did leak that sort of information. Those are all Kirk's words, not mine, from that transcript. There's a greater issue with internet and electronic surveillance by the current executive of his employees, state employees, and citizens more generally. Beyond concerns of fusion, I would encourage those interested in our civil rights to examine the current and former roles of employees, the governor's senior staff, and their scope of duties and activities. And Suzanne, of course, you know, state officials with the Department of Military Affairs and Public Safety, um, which is the, 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 the department that oversees this fusion center at the moment. Um, we should note that, you know, there's a bill that would that would sort of rearrange that particular department. But for the time being, that's where that's where that fusion center sits. Um, you know, they disputed that that, you know, they were ever surveilling Mr. Cornelius. Um, and we'll take a listen to uh, Tom Kirk. He's the deputy secretary of that department and also general counsel over there at DMAPS. One of the things that we do at the fusion center is any information that that comes in there uh, is vetted to see whether it's factual or not. And I can tell you that if, if that is what Mr. Cornelius said, uh, that's false. I can bet that right now. Uh, he's, to my knowledge, has never been investigated by the uh, West Virginia uh, Intelligence Fusion Center. And of course, you know, the, this public hearing is today. The, the, the Judiciary Committee uh, started working this bill earlier this afternoon. Uh, they, you know, were working through some changes and then it got moved to the foot of bills, I believe. Um, so it's going to be sometime this evening that they, you know, <clears throat> either decide to pass that on or take a vote on what to do with that bill in the House Judiciary Committee. All right. Also in the House today, a medical cannabis related legislation that you've been reporting on right. passed the House. Tell us right. the significance. So I think it's of that. Senate Bill 339. It's a rules bundle from DHHR. We've talked about it a couple times. Um, basically, it adds flower or dry leaf cannabis to the state's medical cannabis program. So um, if you talk to anyone that, that um, is an advocate for medical cannabis, they will tell you that patients say they want dry leaf or flower. Um, to either smoke it or ingest it otherwise through food, um, through edibles is what they're known as. Um, but that bill uh, was amended in House Judiciary and now goes back to the Senate to concur. There's another bill over here that's coming out through the Senate that um, would essentially do the same thing, add, add dry leaf or flour, um, but it would accomplish that in just a slightly different way. But 
you know, those bills are moving, but that one uh, Senate Bill 339 coming back over the Senate, so if they concur, that'll be taken care of, so. Great, Dave Mistich, thank you so much. Thank you. <clears throat> Today was History Day at the Capitol with all its traditionally colorful displays. Randy Yowie reports participants say it's about sharing our rich Mountain State heritage with the world. The Sons of the American Revolution Daniel Boone chapter is one of 13 such West Virginia bands of pioneering brothers. New member Andrew Bragg says he joined to keep the Mountain State's overshadowed revolutionary zeal alive, dressing the part as an historic inspiration. The fact that we get to interact with the public and hopefully maybe inspire the next historian to come out and learn about their family and about the history of West Virginia, that in and of itself is enough reward for me. West Virginians take great pride in their musical heritage. This year's West Virginia Music Hall of Fame inductees include Mountain Stage founder and host Larry Gross and mainly from Pocahontas County, the Hammonds family who many say played and sang the ancient repertoire back in the early of 20th century better than most. Mountain music is, was, was very popular, the old Scotch-Irish fiddle tunes, which is what the Hammonds family was responsible for keeping alive and passing down from generation to generation. Among the History Day exhibits, the West Virginia Sons of the Confederacy and United Daughters of the Confederacy. The sons say they highlight ancestry work, the daughters volunteer, and both do public service. It is our history, even though it's um, Confederate. The ancestral Cavill County Plantation home of Confederate General Albert Gallatin Jenkins was once a living history destination, now in disrepair and shut down by the Corps of Engineers to the dismay of the local Greenbottom Society. So here, they are facing heritage challenges and answering history's call. I'm Randy Yowie for the Legislature Today. House Bill 4015, a broadband enhancement bill, passed the House of Delegates today. Emily Allen will discuss broadband expansion with lawmakers in just a moment, but first her visit to Calhoun County to learn how student achievement is impacted with and without broadband access. I think our schools right now, have pretty good access to broadband internet. We have 200 meg internet to both of our elementary schools. Um, Calhoun County Middle High School has 500 meg internet. Uh, right now we're struggling to keep up with the infrastructure of those things, having access points that are fast enough, um, deteriorating networks and switches and things like that need to be upgraded and those things are very costly. When we visited Calhoun County last fall, Tyson Price was wrapping up his tenure as IT and curriculum director for a school district of roughly a thousand kids total. Calhoun County is, like most of West Virginia, quite rural. You know, you come home and you try to bring your, your work home and there's, there's times it's just you can't get that done. Uh, my wife or myself would have to either stay at work or go somewhere else just, just to be able to get on to our laptops or her laptops and my iPad just to get work um, completed. Every day, Michael Fitzwater heads to the school where he's in charge of facilities and transportation. He can't do a lot of the work from home, he says, due to lack of internet access. I cannot check temperature or change temperatures in, in school settings um, to where if I had, you know, um, the correct internet speed, I could log on to my phone or computer to check temperatures or change in, or adjust temperatures. But I, but I just, you know, those things can't happen here. Fitzwater and Price say it gets worse for the students, whose day-to-day -day existence depends on technology if they want to keep up with the rest of the country. 
it really is a major hindrance for student learning. You know, when we were growing up, the times have changed. The landscape of school has changed, and homework looks different now. And every curriculum that we bring in as a school system has an online component, whether it's you know an instructional component or whether it's um, you know resources that they do online. But they're only available at the school, and you know a lot of those things aren't able to be accessed at home. And that's, that's unfortunate. I think that's selling our students short with that. A lot of upperclassmen at Calhoun County are trying to get ahead with dual enrollment classes through Glenville State and Marshall Universities. This is Cole Jarvis, who was taking two college classes at the time of this interview. Jarvis spends about two hours a day on the related homework. The internet here is actually very well. I can run my college courses here. However, when I go home, even though we pay such a large portion for the internet, it is very slow still, and it continues to say it doesn't respond. I try to do college courses. It can run very small websites, but not larger ones. Most local teachers have adjusted their curriculum when it comes to assigning internet-related work. Jarvis wishes college instructors would understand this too. It doesn't matter if your internet's slow. It's your fault if you don't keep up. So when the internet's slow and I can't use it, or I don't have access to it, it's my fault for having assignments turned in online. Junior year student Carter Ritchie agrees. There's some real kids that you may be hurting their future. They need scholarships. They, they want to get these courses done now, especially since it's cheaper to do college courses in high school. Bad internet really does affect us. It's just not us wanting to goof around on the internet, watch videos, and play games with each other. I'd hope it would change. I really would hope, because I'd love to stay here. I love, I love the scenery. I love my, all my friends. Are, I'd hope all my friends would stay. But they would be moving too. <laughs> I mean, being able to go to college and having good internet at the house, <coughs> doing courses at home, it's not really available. Richie is gearing up to take college courses next year. He likes coding and says he'll probably want to do that professionally someday. But if the situation doesn't improve in Calhoun County or West Virginia as a whole, both students say they may not stay. Internet would be more of a convenience to have. As of right now, I probably would not stay in Cowan County if there wasn't the greatest internet here. I would, I would think I would leave because I do want to run a business one day when I, when I get through college and have, a, I say, a better life. As Calhoun leaders work on expanding broadband access countywide, Price says he wishes the state would recognize existing broadband issues at the school. Sure, access is there, but it's costing the state a pretty penny to maintain. Revamping infrastructure and diversifying providers in rural West Virginia might save state dollars in the long run. Uh, they need to understand that the, the infrastructure of Calhoun County's network in general um, for the residences in, in our area, it, it needs upgraded and it's not going to happen um, cheaply. It's going to take a lot of money and it's going to take a lot of effort and uh, there's going to have to be funds allocated for that. There's just no way around it. A local broadband committee for Calhoun County completed a broadband-related survey in 2019. Now that they have some data, the committee is in the process of seeking grants to help attract more internet providers to the area and funding assistance for infrastructure construction and maintenance. Good evening, I'm Emily Allen. Joining me now are delegates Daniel Linville, a Republican from Cabell County, and Senator Robert Plymel, a Democrat from Wayne County. Both are members of committees dealing with infrastructure and both are members of the West Virginia Broadband Enhancement Council. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having us. Now we just watched a video from Calhoun County High School and Middle School. Um, one 
sentiment that really resonated with me was that uh, broadband access internet was acceptable at the school, but when these students wanted to go home and uh, work on their homework or advanced placement courses, it was a little bit more difficult. Um, in your experience, your legislation, what do you, how can counties and communities um, get ahead with broadband access? Go ahead. Sure. So I think that uh, probably the, f the first and most important portion is to be able to partner both with the state and our federal partners. And so um, when we talk about that, we're working on new training that we can do to take uh, advantage of some of the things that the USDA has made available to us, um, as well as FCC and, and several others. Um, you know, what we've heard uh, very often is that there seems to be no silver bullet in expanding and enhancing broadband, as, as they were talking about in, in your clip there. Um, but so we're going to try silver buckshot this year. And um, so we're trying to expand via cellular coverage, via even satellite, fiber coverage, um, and, and utilizing as much competition as we possibly can. And so through legislation, we're trying to attack that via the regulatory process and also via the funding process. Senator Robert Plymouth, anything to add? Well, yes, it became very clear uh, in 2016 with the BTOP money and how it was not used properly. And what was BTOP? Just really uh, it was uh, the federal government with money that was coming down that the states could allocate. And we did it through one uh, provider. And it uh, was very um, misused in terms of that. So it came very clear that we had to do something different. and. That was the first bill that was done in 2016 that really provided more of a, an opportunity that not one provider could be used that we would open up the access to that. And personally, when you start looking at this from the county level and to the school level, uh, you know, I think Brad Smith calls them digital natives. The kids that are today are grown up with, uh, you know, a, a, a something in their hand and they use their thumbs to do instead of typing like we, we would do. We did in, in my age, I'm, I'm much older. But uh, quite honestly, that's what we've got to do. We've got to provide the best internet service and it's got to be done through public-private partnerships. It can't be done with government. Government can't really be doing that. We can only provide and, and break down the barriers that have been, been incumbent upon us through the years. And that's what we've been trying to do through the Broadband Council and through legislation. I, I applaud uh, what uh, the uh, speaker and Delgate Limble and others have, have done in terms of uh, breaking down a lot of the barriers through different bills that we've done over the last few years. Sure, and the last two things you mentioned, Broadband Council and legislation, are some of the next things I want to address. Can you talk briefly about what the West Virginia Broadband Enhancement Council is, how it came together, and what you are working on right now? Um, whoever wants to go first, I suppose. Well, I mean, it was statutorily appointed. It was one that was created by the legislature. It really does not have any authority other than what the legislature gives it. We are giving them pretty broad perspectives of saying we want to improve this. Most of this done has been done through federal money though, and it's the allocation of that money to try to go to underserving areas. What we found is every area is underserved, and the way that FCC has reviewed this and looked at it from a standpoint is what's, what, who has good service? We really don't have good service in every area and we have to expand that and particularly as it relates to, let's go to schools in particular. The E-rate program that we've had and run in the past 
has been used and utilized by the incumbent providers to and where. I just want to ask quick, and it might be hard, but can you kind of briefly explain what E-rate is? What do you mean by that? E-rate's an enhancement that's been then allocated by the federal government to provide internet service to schools. So it's more about federal money coming in. And the money flows through and incumbent providers use it. So let's take Wayne County as an example, similar to Calhoun County. We have two incumbent providers. They they, uh, give you and establish a rate that the counties have to have to give them internet service. We pay the highest rate in the state because of the lack of, of, of ability to do that. And we get, you have really very little service. When these students talked about going to home, they have no service. And how can you, how can you run a business? How can you run a school? How can you run anything related to that if we don't provide that? Well, and Bob, Bob's exactly right. And so when, when we look at some of these things, um, the, the problem with E-rate currently and, and sort of the way that, that, that business had been done um, as it regarded broadband is that uh, we would rely on a single carrier. And um, when that happens, um, uh, you know, the, the schools don't have another, another choice, basically, to, to be able to meet all the requirements that they have. But, but very specifically, as, as we extend access to our schools and, and improve the access to our schools, those same lines can be utilized for your businesses and your various homes all throughout the area. And so that's been a very major point of, point of discussion for us and, and something that we're trying to, to, to address, not just through legislation, but also on the Broadband Enhancement Council. Um, and okay. nationally, we've been looked at by the Pew Charitable Trust as one of the nine states that have really been pushing the envelope on policy to provide broadband. So uh, I know that Doug Linville spent uh, last week in in D.C. with that. I could not go, but that's a real uh, coup for West Virginia to to really be recognized for that. And they're willing to participate with us in the next steps. Sure. I do, uh, we mentioned legislation in the House of Delegates today, actually, House Bill 4015. We've mentioned it some past. It's relating to West Virginia's broadband, uh, you know, enhancement and expansion. Um, I guess we'll start with you this time. What does that bill do um, and what can we look forward to seeing when that bill goes into effect? Sure. So House Bill 4015 does a number of things. Um, First and foremost, as we've talked about the regulatory process, um, we're putting a 60-day shot clock on the various regulatory approvals that are within uh, the power of the state of West Virginia. So we're wanting to expand broadband as quickly as possible. When you say 60-day shot, what do you mean by that? So uh, the government and and the various agencies of state government have 60 days to make a decision on a completed application um, uh, or it's considered assumed approved. And so when I say that, right now one of the major uh, issues that we have is trying to expand what's called middle mile fiber. And so that's what all of your various and and sundry internet service providers will actually tap into such that they can give you internet at your home or even at a cell tower site and things that nature so it's what you have to have um, in order to get uh, in order to get internet anywhere and so uh, what we're trying to do is make is make West Virginia one of the fastest places in the nation Um, in addition to that um, we're working on something called the advanced regulatory environment analysis or area maps is that in a bill or is that also in 4050 
Um, and so what that essentially does is say there's this, uh, there's all these numbers of checks that we have to have uh, in order to run uh, new internet service and this empowers the government essentially to be able to say, okay, um, if we were to do a project like this, you know, uh, is there any uh, concerns from the environmental side of things, from historic preservation, from federal highways, um, and so on and so forth, all the various agencies, so that we know that, uh, that we've got a, a, a clear path forward. Um, and in addition to that, uh, as it regards getting, uh, getting uh, students access at their homes, we're working on really expanding cell coverage and even something called fixed wireless internet. And, and by doing that, we have the Vertical Asset Management Act that's all part of this bill. And so what we're trying to do with that is to open up the various um, pieces of what's called vertical real estate, so tall buildings, state-owned towers, and things like that, so that we can put new cell, uh, new cell uh, antennas on, on them, and even the equipment such that uh, if you can see those towers, you can actually get high-speed broadband. And so we're trying to open it up and make West Virginia truly open for business. Sure. But and remember that getting wire fixed wire to the furthest point is what you have to do. Before the wireless technologies can play into this, you have to get fixed wire. That's why this middle mile provision is so. How long do so we, just not to cut you off, but how long do you think that will take us to, to, to take care of since it's such a, it sounds like such a long process? Well, you, it, you know, in some states, I know Virginia has taken 10 years in some of those areas, uh, and that's really a fast track plan. We have to be serious about this. We have to do it in the next six to eight years. Well, and I would, I would say that over the next uh, two to three years, um, there are projects currently ongoing that will run over 414 miles of fiber in some of the most difficult to serve uh, counties uh, sort of in the southern part of the state. Mm -hmm. um, in the northern and middle part of the state, there's, there's ones for another few hundred miles. And in addition to that, um, the groundbreaking for the Facebook uh, fiber project, which is middle mile fiber that your internet service providers can tap into that crisscrosses this state, um, broke ground, I believe, back in November, if I recall correctly. So um, there's a lot of good things happening. It just takes time to filter out and um, uh, I'm very optimistic as to where it's going but we're not done and, and we will continue to work on this um, for all the reasons that uh, that you showed on your piece there and um, j just like uh, the senator was saying um, uh, Brad Smith said yesterday change can happen to you or change can happen through you and so we're hoping that change will happen through West Virginia and no longer to West Virginia. Excellent thank you so much gentlemen. Tomorrow on the legislature today our Friday review of the week with updates on many of the stories we've been covering throughout the session. Uh, thank Thank you, Delegate Daniel Linville from Cabell County and er, Senator Robert Plymel from Wayne County. For everyone here at West Virginia Public Broadcasting, thanks for joining us. Have a great evening.